Who's got their Bibles with them today? Oh, there's some more hands going up. We're getting there slowly. Can I encourage you to bring your paper Bibles with you? If you, if you don't understand why, please go back three or four weeks and listen to the sermon where we looked at the distractions of our phones, particularly when we're using the Bible. So I just encourage you to consider bringing your paper Bibles with you because the only distraction you'll find are the words on the page which are only ever going to be a benefit to us. So we've been on a bit of a journey, haven't we, these last week, I think it is, this last week, or three weeks in particular, <clears throat> Luke in his account of Jesus' life has already shared and we have explored three powerful stories of revelation revealing first to his disciples and then to those who were standing around and observing that he was not only a rabbi or not just a miracle worker or a preacher, but that he was indeed God Almighty, come down from the heavenly realms to usher in the kingdom of God and fulfill the foretold prophecy of the coming Messiah. Though many, including his disciples at this point in time, didn't quite come to that realisation. And the sad truth is that many would never come to that revelation. First, we looked at the calming of the storm for those who were here for that Sunday, Jesus revealing his power over the elements, over the world, saving the boat from sinking and the disciples from perishing. But as we read last week, Jesus knew that they would get through the storm. Jesus knew that they would get to the other side. Why? Because there was somebody in need somebody in need of him, a man who was beyond human help, a man possessed by a legion of demons. And before his disciples' eyes and many watching, Jesus revealed his power over satanic forces by casting the demons out of the man and liberating him. It's a wonderful story, wasn't it? And can I encourage you, if you haven't been with us, to pop back and watch those last two Sunday services because our message today ties in with both of those. So today we come to the final story in this sequence of events which serves to highlight Jesus' power and authority not just over nature and satanic forces, but also over sickness and disease and ultimately his power and authority over death. So if you, if you have your Bibles with you, <coughs> excuse me, please turn with me to Luke 8, starting from verse 40. 
Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by any. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something, someone should give her something to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the goodness of your word, the truth of the word. We thank you that it's life to us. And this morning, we ask that through your Holy Spirit that you reveal what you need to to us. Open our ears, open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's so much to pull out of this story. So many angles, so many wonderful truths in it that we could probably spend a good month just exploring this one situation, this one event. But Jesus and his disciples in our story beforehand were in the region of the Gerasenes. <clears throat> And they'd been asked to leave by the residents of that region. And we're told the reason they were asked to leave was because of fear. It was because of fear. A fear which was quite likely the result of them witnessing 
this exorcism on this man by Jesus. So, they did as the people asked. They got back into the boat, they sailed back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and on their arrival, we are told, they were met by a crowd of people who had been waiting for him. Well, they'd been waiting a while, I'd imagine. And here, at this point in our story, is where we meet our first character, Jairus. Jairus, who was the ruler of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to see his sick daughter. Jairus would have been responsible for arranging the synagogue meetings and probably led the council of elders at the synagogue. Being the ruler of the synagogue, he would have been well-connected. He would have had access to probably the best doctors in the region. And we can only assume, because the passage doesn't tell us so, that he probably exhausted all of those doctors. But nothing had worked. Jesus, whom Jairus would have known, or at the very least would have heard about, was his only hope. He had no time, no time to see if this was all kosher. He had no time. Jesus' state of purity was not a priority for Jairus at that time. The only thing that mattered to him was his dying daughter. Falling at Jesus' feet in humility and with respect and with reverence Jairus was transformed from being a respected leader in that area to being a desperate beggar. This is what happens when despair sets into people's lives, when it sets into our lives. Money, titles, possessions, they all disappear. Those things become immaterial. One of the tragedies of the world that we live in, that is around us all the time, is that we live in a world where many say they do not need Jesus. They don't want Jesus. Many choosing to live without him for their entire lives but and this is a big but and I'm sure many of us will be able to relate to this but but when life gets tough when hope is a struggle when the world's options seem not to be working they cry out to God in prayer they may ask Christians who are friends of theirs to pray for them, maybe even pray with them. They may even go to a church seeking help. But too often, when the crisis is over, they carry on with their lives with Jesus, a distant thought. Jesus, well, he was helpful in the moment. He was helpful in the moment. That time's now passed, and I'll get on with my life. 
Church, during crisis, we, us here, believers, have such an opportunity to share the power of the gospel with our non-believing family and friends, showing them the love and compassion of Christ through our actions, but also revealing the power of faith and belief in Jesus through the sharing with them of the word. Let us never miss those opportunities. So Jesus began to make his way with Jairus to his home. And a large crowd, we are told, began to form and follow, maybe inquisitive um, as to why such a high-profile man was showing such vulnerability like he was, and maybe even intrigued to see what Jesus would do in that moment. And it is at this point that we are introduced to our second, and I would argue our most important character within this event. We don't know much about her. All scripture tells us is she's a woman. Apart from the fact that it also tells us that she has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. The Apostle Mark in his account says that she had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. What a poor woman. Your heart pours out for her, doesn't it? Well, it should do. What tragedy, what turmoil she had been going through. Her health had deteriorated. She had most likely lost all of her wealth, having to spend it on doctors. She would have lived ceremonially unclean within that culture. Quite likely, she would have lost her reputation. And in this moment, she was as desperate in her situation as Jairus was. If I could just touch the edge of his cloak, not just the cloak, just the corner, if I could just touch a bit the edge, then I will be made well. And that is exactly what happened. She reached out, she touched the edge of his cloak and her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Praise God. Praise God. But in doing so, she was also found out. She was also found out. Jesus said in verse 45, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, 
Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. That in itself is interesting because it shows that somehow, in some way, Jesus is affected every time the power is used. There's an interesting study to explore. But this poor woman, in that moment, when all she wanted to do was dance and shout for joy, because in that moment she had been healed of this 12-year turmoil, realised that she could not avoid having to own up to Jesus. There's a frightening uh, experience. And in the presence of the whole crowd, she came, as Scripture tells us, trembling before Jesus and fell at his feet. And she began to explain what happened. Only Jesus knew the fear which caused her to approach him trembling. But how did Jesus respond? More specifically, what did Jesus call her? Did he shout her down in front of everyone for being selfish? Did he reprimand her for touching him without asking? No. He simply said, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Wow, what a powerful moment. What a powerful moment. This woman had received healing, which is something in itself that is remarkable and worthy of celebration. But I would suggest to you this morning that something more important happened in this verse. I would suggest to you that she had also received salvation and was welcomed into God's family. Bold statement. Let me explain. This woman has gone from being to us in this passage just a woman. Just a woman. To be given a title by Jesus that is more precious than any name. Daughter. You see, from a biblical perspective, God the Father only had one child. He only had one child, one son, Jesus, God the Son. We are not children of God like Jesus is a son of God. We are adopted children. Paul explains this in Galatians 4, verse 3 to 7. He says this, God sent him, Jesus, to be freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that, here we are, so that he could adopt us 
as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. It's the reason we stand here worshipping on Sunday, calling out Lord and God and Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. It's the spirit of God that's in us. Verse 7 of this verse. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Wow. As Christians, we are born enslaved to a sinful nature of this world. But Jesus came to redeem those enslaved. Praise the Lord indeed. Buying us out of slavery. And the result? Well, the result is that those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour through faith alone in him, who repent and live a life dedicated to him, are adopted by God the Father into his family and receive the gift of the Spirit and legal heirship. What a blessing. The fact that Jesus calls this woman daughter suggests that in that moment Jesus had welcomed her into the family of God besides the fact that she was healed. But hang on, I may hear you ask. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross or he hasn't risen yet. How can this woman be saved? Well, I'm very glad that you asked. Since the fall of man, since the fall of man, the basis of our salvation has always been death, the death of Christ. Would we agree? Good. It's always been the death of Christ. No one, either prior to the cross, so before Jesus went to the cross, or since the cross, would ever be saved without that one pivotal event in the history of the world. Would we all agree with that? Amen. So Christ's death paid the penalty for past sins, i.e. the past sins of the Old Testament saints, those who believed, and also future sins of those in the New Testament all the way through into the church age which we are in now. The requirement for salvation has always been faith. Would we agree with that? It's always been faith. And the object of one's faith for salvation has always been God. These things are static, they are true for all time, and they will never change. However, or should I say but, there's another but, underlined in my notes here, there's another but. What has changed throughout the ages 
in every different uh, generation is the content of the believer's faith. Don't worry if that doesn't make sense. Bear with me. God's requirement of what must be believed for salvation is based on the amount of revelation he has given to mankind at up until our point and through every generation. So every generation, the requirement for them to believe and have salvation is based upon what they knew at that point, what God had revealed at that point. Does that make sense? Good. Am I losing anybody here? Good. Fine, fine. It is often, for those who want to go and have a, have a read up on it, it's often referred to as uh, progressive revelation. So people throughout the Old Testament may not have had the full revelation of what saving faith would look like and how the cross played a part in it. They wouldn't have had that full knowledge. But they also weren't ignorant of the hope and the salvation found through the coming Messiah. We see that throughout the Old Testament, don't we? They had faith and they had hope in this coming Messiah and what he would do. But they just didn't have the full revelation that we have now, looking back to what he did. John Calvin is quoted as saying this, those before the cross were not without the preaching that contains the hope of salvation and of eternal life. But they only glimpsed from afar and in shadowy outline what we see today in full glorious daylight. God saved those of old including this woman, because she was pre-cross, based on their response to the knowledge they had of Christ at that point in time. Their faith looked forward to something that they could not see. And our faith today, we look back on events that we do know. We might not see, well we may be able to see from words on a page, but we know what happened. Scripture teaches that God has always given people enough revelation to exercise their faith irrespective of what point in time they lived. Faith being the foundation, always being the foundation for salvation which helps us to understand why Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you well go in peace. On the screen there, just a, a diagram, just to help, help us to understand that, if I've totally lost anybody. Everything, everything, both in the word of God, everything in life points to the cross, either... Point, yeah, points to the cross from the history from when it began or from where we are now, it points back to the cross. Everything is 
pivotal on that moment. Now, the revealing knowledge that this woman had on who Jesus was led her to have a faith that he was who he says he was and believed that he was able to do what he promises and promised to do. That is the foundation of faith. Believe in who Jesus says he is and believe that he's able to do what he promises to do. But that's irrespective of whether Jesus had gone to the cross at that point or not. It wasn't her faith that was the power to heal her, but because of her faith. It was because of the faith she had, because of the consequence of her faith, which brought the healing, and because she trusted Jesus was that full, full, uh, foretold Messiah. And I would suggest that in that moment of faith, she not only received healing of her physical ailments, but also redemptive healing from her sins because of her faith in who Jesus was and what he would do on that cross. Today, we sit in this room, we have, we have so much more than they ever had in knowledge of Jesus. What he did and what happened in the early church and the apostles and, man, we are so blessed. We have more revelation than people living before the resurrection of Christ. We know the full picture. The writer of Hebrews writes this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom we appointed, whom he appointed, sorry, heir of all things, and through him he made the universe. Our salvation is still based on the death of Christ. Our faith is still the requirement for salvation as it was for this lady. And the object of our faith is still God. But unlike this woman, the content of our faith is that Jesus Christ did die for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose on the third day. That is our revelation in our time. That is our saving faith. So what's happened to Jairus? I'm sure somebody's out there asking. What's happened to Jairus? Well, I would suggest to you that one of the fundamental reasons God place this healing and salvation of this woman at this point in this story is to teach Jairus what faith in Jesus looks like. But also the effect of what a faithful life can look like. 
Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe. Isn't it interesting he didn't say, just have faith. I mean, they, you can argue they're interchangeable. But I find it interesting that Jesus decided to use these particular words. Have belief in what? What he's, what he's just seen? In what he's just seen Jesus do? Interesting. Do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Jairus has just witnessed this amazing event with this woman. He had witnessed this woman's faith. He had seen her healed and he had witnessed Jesus' response. So when this person came to say to Jairus that his daughter had died, Jesus turned and said to him, just believe. Just believe in what you have witnessed. Believe in the power and authority I have not just to bring healing and salvation to this woman, but also to resurrect your daughter to life. And as we read, what is exactly, it's exactly what Jesus did. Taking her by the hand, our verse says, he called saying, child arise, and her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that someone should give her something to eat and her parents were amazed. If the band would like to come up, please. Do you know, life, life can really be pretty rubbish at times. It's not always easy. And there are many times that we cry out to God asking, why? Why? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let us go through these situations? And the really hard truth for us as Christians is we read those stories where this woman was healed and where this Jairus' daughter was raised and we can in ourselves ask why. Why have we not seen that in our own lives? And the truth is we don't always know why. It's one of the hardest questions that we can ever live with as Christians. But as we have seen, there is hope and there is peace to be had in Jesus. These four powerful events that we have explored over the last three weeks remind us that Jesus and only Jesus has all authority in the heavens, on the earth and under the earth. And he has all power over the world, over flesh, over the schemes of the devil and ultimately over death itself, which should in itself bring us hope. These events serve to strengthen our faith in Jesus, in his power and in his authority and give us confident hope that whatever we are facing, whatever we are facing, whatever we might be going through or have gone through, however dark it might get, 
However much the devil tries to influence every single one of us, Jesus will always be there with us and he will always be for us. Jesus, the ultimate divine power and authority in the universe, who has the authority over the elements, who has the authority over satanic forces, who has the authority over flesh, and who has the ultimate power and authority over death. It is these truths which, if relied upon, if stood upon, will help us walk confident in that knowledge that there is nothing in this world we cannot get through if we stay planted and steadfast in Jesus because he will be the one that will be walking through these things with us. As we move closer with peace in our hearts to the promise and the joy of eternal life in him. Amen. Just before we close, we'll try and we'll try and make it work. But there'll be a prayer area over here in the corner. And I know that some of these stories are quite tough, particularly for people who have gone through situations in their own life. Can I just ask, if you need prayer, come and receive prayer. If you need someone to talk to, please come. Let us talk with you. Because that's why we're here together as a church family, is to support, care, and love each other as we do so unitedly for Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these last few weeks you have revealed to us in your word that you, you are the ultimate power and authority in this world, in the heavens and below the world. Lord, and what's even more special is that through our faith in you, you have called us adopted sons and daughters and heirs. What a blessing. And what hope that brings our, our, uh, our hearts that whatever we walk through in this life, that you will be there walking before us standing behind us, holding our hand. But not just on this earth, Lord. But that hope and that joy that we have knowing that when our eyes shut on this earth, they will open to see you face to face as we spend eternity with you in glory. Bless us, Lord, as we head into our weeks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,